0: telling you with these stories in the bible of brothers trying to kill each other we need some of that peaceful still waters to come into the mix for us as we get ready to look at some of this family dysfunction you know doesn't it feel good to have still waters right that little bit of peace you know if you just hear about people trying to kill each other boy we're still in that messed up family which is our family of faith which is the archetypal stories of how people struggled and fought one another and how God was right there in the midst of it trying to keep dreams coming true even though we were exactly who we are because many of these things continue to play out right now today in our lives in our families, in our homes but gosh, what does it feel like just to hear that story? let's kill him well, it might be better if we don't kill him if we just make money off of him You know, goodness, with family like that, with family like that, oh my, oh my, are you ready to hear some more about Joseph and this archetypal family of our faith that talks about all the struggles that were going on in the countries of those days? Because remember still, whenever you hear Israel and whenever you hear Esau or Edom or Ishmaelites, you need to also hear that these are more than people that these are countries, and these are more than countries, these are faiths. And it's how these people interacted historically and how sometimes, still today, we're still in these same fights and these same arguments as we get new news each week of what's going on around the world. And so as we, as we enter this story, just to feel some of what this dreaming is about, this dreamer, Joseph, and how life is full of color and bright and shiny, because he's the golden boy. Have you ever been someone's favorite? where the sun always just kind of shines right on you, bright and shiny and the favorite, my goodness, life is good. You can dream. You can dream big, you know, because nothing's beyond your reach. You know, he's the favorite son of the favorite wife. His brothers didn't have a chance. And they resent it. And they get angry about it. And they hate him. But he still dreams. He seems to not be aware of what the danger is. He still dreams. And then he shares these dreams about how they're going to worship him. Is that a good idea? <laughs> you know, sometimes golden boys don't know what privilege is. And sometimes they dump it right out onto you. And you're supposed to be happy for them. You know? So what does it mean? He wasn't even aware of what this might mean to someone other than himself he's 17 years old, the age of accountability, a young adult. And he was dreaming. Y'all had some dreams before in your life? You know, I had one back when I was a kid, and his name was Donny. <laughs> you know, he was a dream. See him up there? <laughs> For those of you under a certain age, that's Donny Osmond. And boy, I thought he was hot stuff. My sisters loved Bobby Sherman, but I loved Donnie Osmond. I thought he was just the best thing there ever was. You know, and he would sing and dance. And that way that arm stretched out there, I thought that was just for me, yeah. right there. Come on, come on. And Donnie would sing these love songs and these other songs about heartbreak, and I just memorized them. You know, this song about puppy love those other people just don't understand our love, I could get into that. Right? Puppy love. And then there was this favorite one that I really knew by heart called, Go away, little girl. So I thought, I thought it was just meant to be. You know? Well, there he was. I got to dream about him. And then when I got older, I thought, my God, what was I thinking? And it said, well, I was thinking he was one year older than me, and he was kind of hot. But he was one year older than me, and so he still is one year older than me, and he's still kind of hot. <laughs> so I was ultimately very pleased when I saw that they cast the adult Donnie in the role of Joseph in Technicolor Dreamcoat on Broadway, because I thought that would be really cool to be able to see, and I never got to see it, but I watched video clips of it and was excited to see my, my childhood dream acting upon stage and singing again. And so there he was in Joseph's, being Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat, the golden boy, which was actually part of his own life because his family had a history of work. The brothers had done a bunch of good songs. They'd been making a name for themselves. But then there was a moment in history when the parents decided we're not going to invest in the older brothers anymore. We're going to invest in the young ones. And so then you got Donnie getting a lot of good information and resources and attention became the favored one and then marie came along too and blew them all out of the water with paper roses you know but those families where favorites happen we seem to not have learned our lesson between jacob and esau last week we seem to do this generational thing over and over again keeping that favorite again as it happens but also when it ties to israel There's some sort of historical knowledge that gets funneled into these stories about the fact that they came last on the scene and then demanded space. And so how did that relate with the people who already lived there? So keep those tensions in play when we're talking about this. But when Donnie got to play Joseph, he put on this outfit called the Technicolor Dreamcoat from the show. And Technicolor Dreamcoat comes from the King James Version in no other version does it say coat of many colors but for those of you like your elizabethan english go to king james and it says coat of many colors all the other ones just say long sleeved coats and long sleeved coats meant power and authority meant you were a white collar worker you know you didn't work in the field so much you got to be air conditioned at your desk and so there's something about this coat that meant authority well let me the slide up there of him on Broadway, Donnie's in this coat, and it's spread out about him like a peacock, you know, and in the Broadway show, as he's spinning around in that outfit, his brothers actually then are twirling him around with that thing before they rip it off of him, and the Broadway show is sort of Disney-fied, they've got children's choirs as a part of the show, if you see it on video, and all the music is kind of happy, and you know, skippy, oh, I'm thrown into the pit, ah, you know? So they don't get the depth of what's happening in the story. So I want to remind us a little bit about how intense this was. It's not a children's story. It's not a story that's just sweet. It's a serious story about people who want to do one of their own siblings harm, harm the ground. Do
1: you like that sort of thing? All them colors? Looks like a Disney princess dress. Or something with Dolly Parton. Well, it's bad enough that you guys are getting all taken over by Joey, but now he's got to have better dresses than me, too. Ooh, Helen, I hate that boy. Now, now calm down, John Henry. He is our brother. Man, forget it, Sam. Man, I, oh, that little, I just want to, oh, he is younger than us. Right. He's only 17 years old. And why did Daddy make him Foreman of the upper 40 anyways? Because he's Dad's favorite. He does everything for that kid. He does, Sam. Don't even say he doesn't. Did I say I like the kid? I'd rather have a good old tractor than him any old day. And what's in it for the rest of us? And what has he done for the family? I mean, are we any better off than we were before he became Foreman? He did share some dreams with me. Dreams? Well... Dreams don't plant the crops, and dreams don't mow the hay. And you're gonna love these dreams. First, he's in some wheat field over east. Like Iowa? Doesn't matter. We're not talking about no ordinary wheat here. Every stalk was bowing down to our dear old brother. And what is that supposed to mean? It's supposed to be us? Like he's some kind of Kang or something? Oh, you said dreams. What's the other one about? It's worse. He said he sees every star in the sky. Us. Again. Bowing down to him. Again. Yeah, right. And he said the sun and the moon. It's supposed to be Ma and Paul. Ma? And Dad. That kid's gotta go. We gotta think of some way to make him leave, like um, like 40 lashes or um, like tar and feathers, or we can make him move to the city. That's a good idea. Yeah. But how? I mean, I ain't got no ideas. I don't either. Well, don't look at me. We've got to find a way to do this. We have to.
0: We hate him so much we can't look at him. We have to make him get out of here. What can we do to make that happen? They see him from afar off. He comes towards them. And as Joseph comes forward, they hatch a plan. You know, plan that's around murder. They reach him. And as they grab hold of that coat of many colors, they take it off of him and they rip it to shreds. Pieces pieces that they then kill an animal and put blood on. They put blood on those pieces and then they send it back to their dad and they say he's dead. It wasn't a nice children's story. It's a story about competition and jealousy and favoritism and what it means to cause violence because of those things. And what does it mean that a family doesn't learn? Doesn't learn from the mistakes of that made before, and repeat the pattern again, generation after generation. You know, this particular technicolor robe has a name in Hebrew, and we're going to put the name up there for you. It's called a, and I have to read it, Keto Net Pasin. It's only used one more time in the Hebrew scripture, and in that time it's about the rape of Tamar, and it talks about the clothes that Tamar was wearing And read it in this way. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, but Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. This coat, interestingly... Another story of violence associated with it. But this coat was the coat of the virgin daughters of the king. What does it mean that Jacob would give Joseph a coat of the virgin daughters of a king? Might there have been more than just brotherly hatred there when they couldn't see it? There's a dramatist, Peterson Toxano, that talks about the brothers' homophobia and hatred of, well, Joseph was different, soft, in the city kind of guy instead of with them on the farm so what does it mean to them that that hatred for that actually made them want to kill their brother and throw him into a pit where all the technicolor is gone you may know something what that's like in your life you know you know what it's like to have someone have tried to drive you out of a family or out of a church out of your home because they didn't care for your gender expression or for who you loved. And they might have been willing to be violent about it. You may have been able to feel that hate. You know the story, perhaps, in a unique way, what it means like to be thrown into a pit. And you know, pit happens. It does. Pit happens. It happens all the time to us. It happens. What's it like to be targeted, harassed, beaten? Think of Transgender Day of Remembrance, where those clothes have been ripped and blood has been put on them and sent back to those families so they know their child is gone. Some of you may know what it is to feel that irrational hate. You may find yourself somewhere in a pit today. You may find yourself climbing out of it, looking for the light there so that you can... Do your best to keep moving on. Pits don't necessarily destroy us. They don't necessarily destroy our dreams either. But waiting can feel like it's killing us. Waiting can feel like we won't make it. Like we can't breathe anymore. Like there's not enough to drink or eat. Waiting can feel like it's death. But the pits do not have to kill us. Because within the pits, we know that we do not sit there as those who have no hope. If we listen to the faith story, if we listen to the dream that's promised by God, even in the midst of those times, the hope is there that there's something more for us. And do we carry on, hang on to that dream for that blessing that Jacob did? Do we carry on to it and hope to take us beyond that pit, beyond what others would have for us, into what God would have for us, into a dream bigger than we can dream? Do we have those kind of dreams? for when life puts us in one of those pits that can carry us through. Yesterday, we did a funeral service here for one of our dear people who sat on the front pew right here, was always happy to show his new suit to us, and would come up and light the candles for us each Sunday, Dennis Schilling. And in the midst of that funeral, we heard stories of what Dennis was like. We grieved. Some were in a pit of sorrow, but at the same time, we talked about how Dennis was so proud to be an usher. We talked about how Dennis would be here on time even if he had to take a bus and get leave at 6 in the morning in order to be here at church early. So in the midst of even those moments of grief and loss, we remembered the hope. The hope that God gives us that calls us through into this bigger dream that God dreams. This bigger dream that goes beyond any of our pits any of those stories of families or others that would try and take away from you God's love. It's not true. God's love is deep within you, even if you're looking for ways to get out of the pit. Can you dream a dream big enough for that to be the case? We have been meeting regularly in town halls and in congregational forums to talk about how we dream, to talk about do we know how to dream, Because sometimes it's hard to dream. Have you ever had that problem? Sometimes it's hard to dream. I'm just trying to pay the bills this month. You want me to dream? Well, I want you to pay the bills and to dream. I want you to not forget that wonderful joy that comes when we trust in God bigger than anything else in our lives. The ability to dream. So I want to read to you some of the words the group that gathered in the gathering space two Saturdays ago at the Congregational Forum shared about what it means to be a part of this community for them, what it's taught them, what feelings they have for it. These are just some of the words that were lifted up, not all of them, but persistence. We are people who persist. We are resilient. We adapt and evolve. We are non-judgmental. We seek to minister outside our walls and want to do more. We know how to persevere. More than persevere, we know how to experience God right in the middle of it all with powerful worship experiences and sharing our story with one another. We know love. We have a sense of humor. Do you have a sense of humor? We like to serve, be community. We cherish spiritual freedom. We embrace music that feeds our soul. We practice love and the golden rule. We're willing to stay in the tension of diversity and difference, even when it's uncomfortable, because our dream is God will take us to a better place. Some of the dreams from that Saturday of who we are, how God's working within our lives here, building our spirits, growing us, teaching us, helping us learn as resurrection here in this place and time. So alongside those strategic uh, forums that we've been having, the congregational forums, We have also been looking at what does it mean to be God's people in this place? What does it mean also for us that each summer, each year, we end up coming back to the same place where it's really, really, really tight for us, where it really is that we don't have the resources to both pay for the building and everything it is we long and dream to do in ministry. And so what we said is, why do we come back to the same place? Sort of like those families that keep doing the same thing over and over again. And one of the things we do know, and we have identified a couple of years ago, is that our buildings actually in some ways drain us, drain our resources in a large way from all that we're doing. And because of that, we, the board, and others have been talking about what does it mean for us to dream of a different way, so that we don't come back to this same place every year, because we've come back to the same place multiple times. And maybe there's a different way. And so about a year ago, the board said, what are some other ways that we can dream for this location and the work we do here? And so we thought we would get a real estate person to help us out and look at the property. And we discovered even before that, that these buildings that we love and that we do great ministry in are at the end of their lifetime pretty soon you know, and we did a study on what it would take to repair them and to build them for the ministries that we have here. Many of you participated in what was called a charrette process. If you were a part of the charrette process, will you raise your hands up? And that was a process where we went to all of the teams of ministers here at the church and asked, what kind of space do you need? What is ideal? What works best for you? And we put all that together, and we put two buildings together, and we built a model, and we brought it to you and showed you what it would look like or could possibly look like. And in that model, we said, okay, and this is two years ago before I got here with you, this will be about $10 million to do this at this time in this place. And so that was the estimate, because one thing that's interesting about this particular location is we're smack in the middle of the floodway, which means everything has to be built up which means there's a different level of expense to it. And so we didn't move right away on that. You know, part of it is you were waiting for a senior pastor. Another part of it is you were waiting uh, for the 10 million to just drop out of the sky. (laughs) And it just wasn't there presenting itself to us at that point in time. Nor is it today. But we wanted to dream still, what could this property be used for its best value? And so we thought about moving... Uh, selling two acres over by the apartment complex because someone had bought it. Let's check with them and see if they can use two acres and that'll help us with resources so that we can work on these buildings. But when we looked at it, we decided if we sold a couple of acres and got those resources to help with these current buildings, that these buildings were still at the end of their life and that it wouldn't do everything we needed to do for these buildings. So we decided to keep dreaming and keep looking more. And so we went from that idea to what would it mean if we sold more of our property to sort of a partner And the partner would then build their buildings on the space and we would then build new buildings on the space called a pad site and in that location how would we do ministry together and we looked and experienced what that would be like and it got really difficult and hard and we couldn't imagine the right partner and also there might be some challenges in building that many buildings in the floodway some people think you know so we didn't get an answer there so we kept dreaming and we kept looking and we asked some people to, okay, let's look and see what would it mean if we sold the whole site, the whole pieces of property here, and looked elsewhere. No decision's been made on that, but we wanted to explore what would it mean if that was an option for us to do so. Because some said we might be able to do that. And do you remember what Robert Slipka said was his dream at the end of last week? What did he say his dream was? Two words. Debt free. All right. Debt-free. You know, and so that was part of this. Could we actually do something like that and be debt-free so that we would have our resources free for ministry? And I thought, you know, that's too good to be true. So I was skeptical. But now we're doing more research on that to see if that's possible. And actually, there's been some good indicators that that might actually be possible, that we could trade this site for another site with the capacity to do all the things we're currently doing now and that we might actually be able to be debt-free. And so we're looking at what that means. We don't know yet. But we need your dreams about location and space and what it includes. And we'll invite you to be a part of those dreams. The next Congregational Forum is Saturday, September thirteenth, coming up. And we're going to be talking about the future and what does it mean to continue to dream bigger than we know how to dream? Because if we don't dream, we can be here next August in the same place, you know, as we were last August and the August before that. And it doesn't mean we haven't been making it, we've been making it but what would it mean to dream bigger than making it? We might be able to do that together in this space or in a new space if we listen and discern what could be possible. It reminded me a little bit of our Easter series. It was called Coming Out of Our Shell. you all remember that? When you dream, sometimes you come out of your shell. When you dream, sometimes you come out of your closet. When you dream sometimes you're able to take the first steps right out of that pit when you dream technicolor comes back into the world thanks be to god amen